So if you are new here, we just finished several months working our way through the book of 1 Samuel. I guess if we were like hardcore, we'd like continue on and go into 2 Samuel. In, in, in the Jewish scriptures, it is one book, but we, we're just not that hardcore. So I'm, I'm going to take a break. And uh, we talked about with the elders about where to go next. And we said, man, let's, let's go to a gospel. Let's just let's spend a few months just savoring the stories of Jesus in a gospel. So that's, that's what we're going to do. I want to give you a little bit of heads up of what that's going to look like over the course of this next month. Uh, today we're introducing uh, the gospel of Luke in chapters 1, verses 1 through 4. But uh, after this week, we start the season of Advent. So with Advent, what we're going to do is we're going to jump ahead to the birth narrative of Christ. So we're going to skip over John the Baptist some. We're going to hit the nativity stories of Jesus for four weeks, but we don't want to forget John. John's important. So we're going to go back after that and hit John the Baptist. But that's what these next few, few weeks are going to look like. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Luke talks about in these verses how he went out on an investigation. He is like a uh, an investigative reporter going out, going back to the beginning, following the story of Jesus, talking to eyewitnesses, talking to, to teachers of, of the story and the servants of the word. We find that investigating Jesus is not a new thing, right? Investigating Jesus is something that happened even in Jesus's ministry. Think about uh, Nicodemus going to Jesus at night in John chapter 3, my professor always called the story of Nick at night, if, if you remember Nick at night. Uh, he went to Jesus to ask him questions, to find out what Jesus was about, to find out who Jesus was. He was investigating his teaching. We see an investigation in Peter and John after they got word from, from, from the ladies that, that Jesus had risen from the dead. What did they do? They dropped what they were doing. They ran to the tomb and then into the tomb. Why? to investigate the tomb. Is it really empty? Is Jesus really gone? Is he really risen? And we find that these investigations didn't just happen in Jesus's own time with his own disciples and other people, but the investigation of Jesus still happens today. I was reminded this week of the story of Lee Strobel. Are you all familiar with Lee Strobel? Wrote a fabulous book, a whole series of books, but the first one was A Case for Christ. Lee Strobel used to be an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune Herald. Uh, he was self-proclaimed. He was an alcoholic. He said he was a pretty horrible person, such so that whenever he got home from work, he was so abusive to his wife and child that when he got home from work, his three-year-old daughter, who was playing on the floor with her toys, would look up, see him, gather her toys, and like run to her room because she didn't want to play within side of him because it wasn't safe. Lee Strobel was a self-proclaimed atheist. His wife was an agnostic. And one day he comes home and his wife says, honey, I've got some news for you. I wanted to let you know that, that I've become a Christian, that I, that I want to follow Jesus, that I'm counting on him to be made right with God. Lee Strobel said that whenever she told him that news, the first word that popped into his mind was divorce that I just want nothing of it. But then he said, you know what? I am an investigative reporter. I could probably like do an investigation into Jesus, 
convince her that it's all a, a farce and I can get my wife back. So what this did is this started Lee Strobel on a two-year journey trying to investigate the claims of Jesus, to investigate Jesus's life as an investigative reporter. And so he started doing interviews. He started doing research. And at the end of the two years, do you know what happened? At the end of the two years, he looked at all the evidence that he had accumulated over all those years and all those months, and he was left with a decision. He said, there's beyond a shadow of a doubt, this Jesus was real. And beyond a shadow of a doubt, he rose from the dead. And now I have to decide what to do with him. Lee Strobel then committed his own life to Christ, and he saw the beauty of what Christ can do in a broken life. And all the broken relationships that he had with his wife and with his children, that those were mended and healed. And he saw a fruitful marriage and a fruitful family, a family dedicated to the kingdom of Christ. What we want to do this morning is we want to look at Luke. We want to look at his investigation because I think we need to do a couple different things. One, I think we need to investigate the story of Jesus, but we need to investigate Christ because we need confidence in our own faith. And we need to investigate this story because this is a story that we are all supposed to share with other people. So let's let's look at these individually. First of all, let's 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 talk about investigating the story. When we look at verses 1 through 3, Luke says many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. So he's saying he's not even saying I'm the first to do this. He's saying other people have written stories about Jesus. We know of Matthew, Mark, and John, but there were others also. He's not trying to put those down and say I had to go investigate cuz I couldn't trust. He's like I know there are others out there. He says, many have done this, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. But it seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus. So what is Luke saying? Luke is saying it was important for him to investigate the gospel story. When I say that word story, we might have a few different reactions. Some of us hear story and we think of of a children's tale. Right now, I just finished reading to my kids, uh, Miss Frisbee and the Rats of Them. Y'all know that story? Pretty good. And we just finished that one. So we started reading again a book that that I read and enjoyed. It's called The Wing Feather Saga. We're on book three. And it's just a lot of fun. But the thing is with these stories written for for children and and their fathers, uh, it's, uh, it's fictitional. And we think of a story as a fictional story. But not all stories are fiction. That many stories that we read about, many stories that we hear, many stories that we see are just an account of records of of past events. And when we look at Jesus, we are without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus lived and existed. You know, even when we look, whenever Lee Strobel did the investigation, he said, you know, not only do we have these gospel accounts of Jesus found in the Bible, but we have other ancient authors writing about Jesus, writing about these events, some of them investigating who are these Christians and what are they about. We know that the story of Jesus is historical. Many people, including Lee Strobel, thought, well, The Bible itself must just be a a myth, a legend. And so he began to to look into that, thinking, what what, could this story in the gospel, could it be a a legend? That, yeah, Jesus was historical, but but then they added all these other 
miraculous things onto the story. They made it more than it was, and he began to research legends. One of the things he found out is like if a legend is to, is to be developed, it can't be developed in that person's lifetime. But typically, for a legend to develop around a historical event, it takes more than two generations of people. But here's the interesting thing about the gospel. Within six years of Jesus' death and resurrection, creeds were already being written that talk about his life, his ministry, and his resurrection. Within 20 years of his resurrection, his disciples already began to write the accounts of Jesus' life, his teachings, his miracles, his resurrection. And you say, well, maybe they were just making it up, but you have to ask the question, like, why would they make this stuff up? When you look at the disciples, all of them almost died horrible deaths. And the ones that did die of old age were tortured horribly. What, what gain do they have from making up these stories? And Lee Strobel looked at this evidence and said, well, I, I guess this points to their truthfulness. And it does. That these creeds were written, the gospels were written. In fact, we even have this phrase in, in, in verse 2. Look at verse 2. It says, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down. Do you see that phrase, servants of the word? What that's referring to are, are oral historians. Before something was written down, you'd have these people who would learn the stories and, and be able to, to reference them and speak them. And as part of their ministry to the church is that they would go from church to church recounting verbally from memory the events, the sayings of Jesus. Many people believe that the Apostle Paul was even one of these people. I think this is important for us to remember, that the gospel story we believe is not a myth. It's not a legend for us to bend and fit to our own agendas. But Jesus was true. When we look at Luke's investigation— and we'll see this in the weeks to come. When we look at Luke's investigation, what was a summary of his investigation? What were his, what were his conclusions concerning Jesus? And this is what it was. When you look at the whole book, these were Luke's conclusions. That Jesus is the fulfillment of God's covenant promises to Israel. That Jesus is the fulfillment of God's covenant promises to Israel. Whenever Adam and Eve were in the garden and God was cursing them and God told to the serpent and Eve, I'm going to put division between you. And one day an offspring of Eve will be wounded by the serpent, but that offspring will crush the head of the serpent. Christ is the fulfillment of that promise. Whenever we look at Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, he says, Abraham I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. But through you, all peoples of the earth will be blessed. Jesus is a fulfillment of that promise. And through Abraham, through Christ, it's fulfilled that all people are blessed through him. Whenever God told David, David, you're my servant, and there will be one of your descendants sitting on the throne for eternity. Jesus is a fulfillment of that promise, the king who will sit on the throne for eternity. When the prophets through Isaiah said that, that God's salvation is going to come into the world, Jesus is a fulfillment of that promise. And as you go through the book of Luke, you see these promises of God being fulfilled in the person of Christ. The question is, 
is how are you going to respond to Jesus? How are you going to respond to Jesus? Because I think what, what our world does, what our culture does, is what we like to do is we like to take Jesus and we like to form him after our own image. We like to take Jesus and we want to use Jesus to affirm and confirm our own agendas. But if Jesus is historical and the words of the Bible are true, then we just can't do with Jesus anything that we want. But we have to approach him as he is. I had a conversation about three weeks ago. Uh, We have a construction project going on across the street, and there was a plumber out there fixing a, a broken water line. And and I was talking with this guy. His name was Jason. He's from New York State. Never confuse a New York State guy with a New York City guy. They, they like the distinction there. And so he said, you know, he's from New York State. And uh, we just started talking about what he believed. You know, if you're, if you're going to be working on a church facility, you're probably going to, like, hear some Jesus, right? And, and so I was talking with Jason. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm an agnostic. I, I, I believe that something's out there. I just don't know what it is. And so I pushed him a little bit further. I was like, well, well what do you think about Jesus? How do you handle Jesus? And he said, you know, I, if I had to guess, I'd probably say that Jesus was a good man and a good teacher, a good example to follow. I said, well, have you ever heard of C.S. Lewis? And C.S. Lewis in this book has, has, has a book called Mere Christianity, and he addresses that issue. Can Jesus be a good man and a good teacher the, the, this teaching is in C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity is sometimes reduced down to this question, is Jesus a liar, is he a lunatic, or is he a Lord, or the Lord? This is what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, said, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says that he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must Make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or something else like a madman or something even worse. You can can shut him up for a fool or you can spit on him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. What was, what was C.S. Lewis saying? He was saying if there was a man who went about saying that he is God, and that wasn't true, well, that would make him a liar. And that would, in all intents and purposes, make him not a good moral teacher. So there's another option, and maybe Jesus taught these things, and he actually thought he was God, but he wasn't. He said, you have to be crazy. He said, there's three options. You can look at Jesus. You can call him a liar. You can call him a lunatic. 
Or he said, you can bow down at his feet and call him a Lord. When Luke did the investigation into Jesus, he came to the conclusion that Jesus was not a liar. He was not a lunatic, but he was Lord. He is Lord, and we are to bow down at his feet. What, what are you doing with Jesus? Some of us might even call him Lord. But do we live as if Christ is Lord in our life, submitting to him, obeying him? We need to investigate Jesus. I think the other thing that we need to do is when we investigate Jesus, we need to investigate him for, for the purposes of confidence. Look at verse 4. Why did he do these things? Why did he investigate? Why did he go to the original eyewitnesses? Why did he listen to the servants of the word? He says in verse 4, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. One of the reasons we need to investigate Jesus is because we need to have confidence in Jesus. When we look at the Gospels and we read the writings of the New Testament, one of the things that shows us is this emphasis on an eyewitness. Why is that so important? Why are eyewitnesses so important? Because you can go to the person and say, what was your experience? What did you see? What did you hear? We see this even in the Apostle Paul, who might have been one of these servants of the word, who was an oral transmitter of this history. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. It says, now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I pass on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive. Why would he say that? Most of them are still alive. If you want to know their names, I can tell you their names. If you want to go sit down and have some tea with them, I can give you their address. And these witnesses can tell you about the risen Lord. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one who was born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. These eyewitnesses are important because people in the first century could track them down, could sit down with them, could hear them. I love the idea of Luke investigating these eyewitnesses. Just think about what that would be like. Theophilus, a rich benefactor, say, Luke, I want you to take a writing sabbatical. I want you to go out. I want you to investigate the claims of Jesus, these things that we've received. Can you confirm them? And I imagine Luke saying, sure thing, and heading off to Judea, tracking down Mary and said, Mary, can we, can we break some bread and can you tell me about the birth of Jesus? What did you think about when you were 13 and this angel came to you? What did the angel say? What was going through your mind? All right, Mary, could you tell me where, where Elizabeth and Zachariah live? Because I, I want to talk with them too. 
all right, wh- wh- what, about, what about Bartimaeus? I want to sit down with Bartimaeus, and I want to I learn about what it was like to be touched and to be healed by Jesus. And who was this Roman centurion whose servant was healed? I want to sit down, and I want to talk with him. Is he still stationed in Judea, or did he, he get PCS somewhere? And what did Luke do? He went around talking to the eyewitnesses, and he's weighing. What we received, is it the same thing as what the eyewitnesses have said? And at the end of the day, he said, it is. And because it is, he wrote down this orderly account of Jesus so that we can have confidence. And we need confidence in the Word of God. We need confidence in Christ. Why? Why do we need confidence? We need confidence because what we believe is crazy hard to believe, right? I I think oftentimes if we sat down and say, well, what do you believe? Well, I believe uh, that God created the world, that God put on flesh and dwelt among us, that he healed all sorts of people, that he died, and then this man, God, rose again from the dead. What else do you believe in your life that is anything like that? It goes against our our modern notion of how the world operates. We need confidence in what we believe because it's not an easy belief. But let's not make the mistake that it was any easier for Luke. Luke, a physician, a doctor, probably said, you know what? It's not normal for dead people to come back to life. Let me investigate this. We need confidence because it's not an easy thing to believe. It takes faith. We need confidence. We need confidence because there are competing stories in the world. There are other stories out there telling us how we need to understand life, how we need to understand what's broken with the world, how we need to understand how how the world has any hope. I received a text message the other day, and it said something along these lines. Uh, It's talking about the, the virus vaccine coming along. And the text message said from this one person, I didn't know him, uh, but it said, uh, we can put our hope in medical science to get us through this COVID virus. I thought, man, we're putting our hope in medical science. That is saying something. That's coming from a stance. Is medicine good? Yeah, it's good. If there's a cure for COVID or a vaccine, sign me up. I'll Shoot me up. I'll take it, right? But is it my hope to get through a trying time? It's not. Whether a cure comes or a cure doesn't come, my hope is not in a medical cure, but my hope is in Christ. We need hope because we need confidence because we have these competing stories in our world. We need hope and confidence because the story that we are believing in, the story of Christ, is a costly story. Luke later on said in the teachings of Jesus, he quoted and he said, anyone who wants to follow after me and anyone who wants to be be my disciple, they need to pick up their cross daily and follow me. What was Jesus saying? What was Luke quoting this for? Because following Jesus is costly. It will cost you respect. It might cost you position. It might cost you promotion. Other parts of the world, it will cost you your life and your family. It might cost you your family here. I don't know. But the story we are believing in in Christ is a costly story. If this is a story we're going to lose so much for, we need to have confidence in it. 
But we also need confidence because this is a story that we share. Let's end with, with this point. This is a story that, that we share. When we look at Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, what we see is people receiving Christ. When we read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 by the Apostle Paul, he said, what I received, I passed on to you. And what we realize about the gospel story is that the gospel story is a story that is received through other people sharing it. We don't know who led Luke to Christ. There's a good chance that it might have been the Apostle Paul. We don't know who led Theophilus to Christ. It could have been that it was Luke himself, that they received something and then they passed it on. How did, how did you receive Christ? Oh, I received Christ. You know why I have confidence in the Word of God? People say, well, Stephen, why do you believe in God and why do you believe in Christ? And I'm probably going to say something along the lines of like, well, that's what my mom told me, right? How do many of us receive Christ? We receive Christ because we were raised in homes where mom and dad loved Jesus. I was raised in a home where, where my mom and dad, they took me to church. And it wasn't just church like once a week, but it was church like Sunday school, service, go home, grab lunch, go back to another service, uh, go back to work the week, and then go back on Wednesday. And there might have been a special event somewhere in there, right? But then not only that, but, but they also taught us the truths of the gospel at home. Where my dad would set me and my brothers down in our room at night, and before we'd go to sleep, he would read the Bible to us. And I remember him asking us questions like a fill-in-the-blank, and, and we'd have to fill in the blank, and they would pray for us. And I remember in my home of how my mom, who played piano for our church, would practice on the piano the hymns of the faith. And my dad, who, who led worship for us, would be whistling these songs all week long. How did I receive the gospel? I received the gospel through the transmission of my parents telling me the gospel and living the gospel out before me. So when we talk about dedicating a child to God. That's what we are agreeing to do. When we stand up as a congregation, as the body of Christ at Christ Community Church, and we say, we will come alongside you, and we will come along any other child, and we will pass on the faith that we received, that's what we're signing up to do. That's why we believe that Children's Church is it's an honorable place to serve because you are taking the truths that we received and we are passing them on to a new generation. And we value that as a high calling. And it's not just a parent to a child. But some of you said that's not the childhood I had. But you still receive Christ from somebody. It might have been a roommate or a co-worker. It might have been a street preacher for all I know, but somebody transmitted that work, that word to you. We receive the gospel because somebody shared it with us. What would have happened if Peter said, you know, this whole thing about resurrection kind of sounds crazy, and I don't want people to think I'm crazy. I'm just going to keep silent. 
What would happen if James said, you know what, if I share this story of Christ, it's just going to upset people. And I don't want to rock the boat. And I don't want to upset people. What would have happened? What would have happened if, if, if Paul said, you know what, this is just my experience and my belief, but I don't want to impose my beliefs and my experiences on other people. What would have happened? We would have all been lost in our sins. We'd all be without hope for relationship with God. And we'd live in a broken world with no hope. The Apostle Paul in Romans says this in verse 17. So faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the message about Christ. How do we believe the gospel? Because somebody shares the gospel with us. That's why we believe if you're a member at Christ Community Church, we believe you're a minister of the gospel, like you're ministering to the other members in this body. But not only are you a minister of the gospel, but you're a missionary of the gospel. That it's the duty and calling of every believer in our midst to go out and to proclaim the good news. I was so encouraged the other day. I was talking with my dad. He was looking at a lot in, in Temple, and uh, he's with my brother, and they were talking to the neighbor, guy guy that lives across the street from this empty lot. And they said the guy was a talker. He's like one of, the, one of those talkers you meet and, like, you can't get away from. And you kind of got to make a hard break. And my dad's like, I did a hard break, and I was walking away. But he said, your brother, like, stayed behind. And he's like, I was listening to him, and his question was simple. He says, sir, do you? Do you believe in Jesus? What a hard question to ask. But what if the question was never asked? We are called to share the message for which we have received. And this is here, here's just a strategy. This is a strategy for this week. This week, we celebrate Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is, is a, a celebration of food, right? Not all, it's all, not all about food. It's like, yep, pilgrims made it. We're here. There's bounty. Praise the Lord, right? But we, we celebrate it by having food. We're sitting down with our families. We're sitting down in the teacher's lounge. We're sitting down in, in a lunchroom. We're sitting down. We're sitting down with people. You know what a natural question for Thanksgiving is? What are you thankful for? It's Thanksgiving, guys. What if we just all like go around and, and talk about what we're thankful for? And you can listen to everybody's answer. And then when it comes back around to you, you can say, well, you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for Jesus and what he's done in my life. And what would happen if you just dropped it right there? I'm not saying like you just got to like bust out your sermon right there, but you just drop it right there and you wait for a follow-up. And just see if there's a follow-up question. And use that opportunity as a way to proclaim the truth about Jesus. Think about your week ahead. Where will you be sitting down? And who will be around that table with you? And maybe even now, we can start praying for those people. Because brothers and sisters, you've received a message of hope. And it's God's calling on your life to take the hope you have received and to give it to someone else.
Let's stand and pray.